0: So what we're going to do is a little modified, so um, during this next song, we're going to let the children go to children's church early, because we're going to preach early and praise much after. So we had prayer and pastries, and then we're going to have preaching and praise, so it's all peas today, okay? So that's where we're headed. Am I on? Oh my goodness. You know, um, in life, one thing that we all want, we all want places where we feel acceptance, don't we? There are places where you just want to know that you're connected to other people, that you're loved by other people, that you're cared for by other people, and that you want acceptance. We have one child on the on the autism spectrum, and he has Asperger's. And I was reading a book by a man that had Asperger's, and in that book he said this. He says, everybody in life needs two people that just get them. They need a couple people where they don't feel like a project or some kind of a charity case, but they're in relationship and they feel acceptance and love, and care. Every one of us wants that. Is that fair? Every one of us wants that space where we feel that. When Jesus Christ preached his very first sermon that is recorded in the book of Matthew, he started by talking about what it would be like to be in a relationship with God himself where you felt acceptance. And he kind of framed it a little differently. He said, favored is the man, or blessed is the man. These are the kinds of people that experience God's acceptance. And he described them in these things that are famously called the Beatitudes. But I want to look at them just a little different today as we kind of think about this concept that there are certain things that only God can do. Last week we talked about the fact that only God can light a fire in his people and in, his, in a community so that many people come to him. That's not something that we can do. Now, naively, men good godly men have tried to distill what are the ideas that make these things happen but there's only one Billy Graham right there wasn't seven Billy Grahams before him there was only one Billy Sunday and before him there was one on D.L. Moody there was only one of these kinds of people and once again we're praying that somehow miraculously God can do this but there's other things that only God can do and there are other things that sometimes we're looking all kinds of other places to experience it. And in the process of it, we become disingenuous to ourselves and we become something that we're not. In the process of trying to experience acceptance, have you ever tried to remake yourself just a little bit to be someone that you thought they wanted to love instead of being the person that you are? to please other people. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in a situation where you just thought that if you could just put your best foot forward, you know, as a youth pastor, one of the things that I did when I was in Indiana is I would take kids to their job interviews. And occasionally a kid would come out for a job interview and the first thing I would say to him is, go back in the house. Because I looked at what he decided to wear. I mean, the hearts that he had on that he'd been using to, to feed the pigs. <laughs> and the tattered shirt that was his favorite probably worked fine at home, but I'm not sure that he would get the job that he wanted with that. And so I'd send him back in and I'd say, he'd say, I want you to dress so-and-so. And he'd say, how do you want me to dress? I want you to dress like you're gonna be your manager instead of the employee. They'd come back out. Where's your belt? Why do I need to wear a belt? My pants stay up just fine. Well, you know, you look just a little bit more put together. Sometimes they'd stomp back and forth two or three times because I was trying to make them acceptable. And some of them would say this to me. This is not me. And I'd look at them after they got all into whatever I decided they should wear and I'd say, you're right, it isn't you. But it's somebody that could be employed. (laughs) we can naively buy into this idea with God. We can naively buy into this idea that somehow he is the employer and we need to figure out how to be acceptable to him. That's why there are some people that are not here today. There are some people that are not here today because they just need to get it together so they can go to church. Have you ever heard that one before? Well, you know, I'd like to go to church. But they naively believe... (laughs) that we who are here have it all together. Isn't that funny? And there's just no way they could fit in with us because, quote, they don't have it together yet. So here's Jesus. He's going to talk to his disciples. The Word tells us that he's beginning to gather crowds and he's beginning to teach truth. And the first recorded sermon that we have in him, he starts by explaining to the crowd what God wants to bless. What is acceptable to God? What would gain his favor? And what's so interesting about this is Jesus' list was a lot different than the Pharisees' list. The Pharisees were concerned about orthopraxy. If you want to be God's people, you have to look like this, you got to act like this, you got to walk like this, you got to talk like this. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus kind of turned this thing upside down. And I think that every once in a while, we need to remember what it means to be acceptable, blessed, favored by God. Because without realizing it, every once in a while, we think God is a youth pastor who's trying to make us put on the right outfit so we can get the job with God. That somehow by how we act and what we do, we can leverage God into helping us have a relationship with him. But that's not what Jesus taught. Let's read the Beatitudes. If if you have your Bible and you want to open, it's in... Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 2, or you can read along with the screen here. Um, We're going to read the passage, and then we're going to unpack the passage. Here we go. Oops, wrong way. There we go. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted you blessed are this tells us something really really important this tells us about what god truly values what's really important to him the things that he sees as vital you know Over and over again in the world today, in every self-help book, in every TV show about somehow making you a better person, they're creating a list of things that you're supposed to be. You're supposed to have high self-esteem, right? That's what you're supposed to have. You know? You're supposed to be a go-getter. You're supposed to stand up for yourself. You're supposed to make sure you're ambitious, you know? The early bird gets the worm. Although I'm not a bird and I don't eat worms. You understand what I'm saying? There's, there's certain things that the word values. You, you can see it on TV. I, I love watching some of the shows on CNBC like The Prophet and um, Shark Tank. And you see the things that they value there. I I, I enjoy some TV shows on and i've been watching blue bloods for a while and sometimes the language is a little salty but i appreciate that there seems to be a sense of faith somewhere in that and a decorum and yet they do seem to value being a little bit of vigilante and breaking the rules to do the right thing you know there's all around us there's values in comic books there's values in books on business leadership, there's values, who moved my cheese, you know, all these different kinds of things. But what does God value? I think the crowd would have been interesting because, first of all, the crowd that followed at that point were a bunch of disciples that had already been told that they weren't of enough value to ever be a rabbi. And all of a sudden, this teacher comes in and he includes them, even though they're fishermen and Tax collectors and sinners and working class people. And, and you think about the fact that Jesus would sometimes attract a crowd, and I'm thinking, why aren't they working? Have you ever thought that? And so some of the people that Jesus attracted sometimes might not have been the creme de la creme as we would value it today in our society. But he sat down with this group of people. They've already watched him somehow be different. And he sets God's value system for what's important to him. And he starts it with the words, blessed are, favored are, accepted are. So let's take a look at the list. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit. The spiritually needy. The ones that realize that they don't completely add up. That something is missing. That they need something else. You know, that's something that God favors. He favors us when we are needy. That doesn't exactly look like something we want to put on our recipe. Does it? Somewhat... Dysfunctional. Quite a bit broken. And yet, favored by God are people who are poor in spirit that are spiritually needy people. Isn't that amazing? Do you ever feel just a little bit spiritually needy? You know, I I used to have this naive idea that eventually you get it together and all God does is says, oh no, i got to explain to you, you're still needy. But only God can value neediness. Isn't that cool? Doesn't that comfort you a little bit? That you don't have to man up and be something. That you can be nothing. You can not have it together. And God's okay with that. That you can feel sad about it. He makes a promise to the spiritually needy. He says, they have an entrance into the kingdom. You don't have to wear a belt to get into the kingdom of God. You don't have to look like a manager. You can be needy. And God values neediness. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, we like to use this verse at funerals, but that's not what this verse is really about. It's people who are sad that they don't have it all together. It's people that realize that they're disappointed in themselves, that it it didn't come off the way they wanted to. It's it's when you had your best intentions and you enter into a situation and all of a sudden you lose your temper and then you're disappointed in yourself. It's about being spiritually bothered that you didn't get it right. That you didn't act right, that you didn't respond right. He says that, that that is acceptable to God. Now, everything in our spirit says, wait, wait a minute here, you got to respond differently. Even when I was in the church, and I've done different things. I was on a, a committee. We were putting together a big, small group experience for the church. We, we estimated, and we had over 600 people involved. And after we started it um, in this large church I was at, we were getting all the leaders together, and I said, I think we really need to tell these leaders that we don't really know completely what we're doing. And one of the guys said, oh no, you can't say that. We've got to sound confident even if we're not. You know? You know? But you know what? All the leaders knew we didn't have it together. (laughs) We knew we didn't have it together. Isn't it great that you can go to God and he's not bothered that you don't have it all together? And he's okay with the fact that you're needy and that you're bothered by things and sometimes emotionally, you're just emotionally wrecked. God will never look at you and say, boys don't cry you won't do that god won't look at you and say well take a lap get it together and then we'll talk god doesn't do that it's acceptable to god favored of god blessed of god to be spiritually bothered why what does he promise he promises comfort Some of you have been in situations where you've desired to be honest with somebody else and tell them how you really feel, and and their response was not like God, and you didn't feel comforted. You felt lectured. Have you ever had that experience? Or they explain the obvious to you. I always hate that one the most. You know, sounds like you don't have it all together. Oh, yeah. But in God's value system, it's okay to mourn and be spiritually bothered because He desires to bring you comfort. You see, some people really mess up here because they don't realize that God wants to give them comfort. So maybe they're honest with God, but then they go somewhere else to find their comfort. Be it as simple as a television show or a Snickers bar. but in God's value system, it's okay to be spiritually bothered. In fact, I think that there's an awakening that takes place in the life of a believer that as you continue to grow, more things bother you. Think about Jesus. Jesus wept over things. They really bothered him. Uh, That has been one of the byproducts of rest that has been hardest for me in the moments where I haven't just sought to keep on moving on and doing another thing and and there's been this pause, sometimes all that God has shown me is, is more problems and more things that hurt his heart that should hurt my heart. And then I immediately think I have to do something about them because I'm a fixer. I'm a guy. That's what I do. And all God wants me to do is be bothered so he can comfort me. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is no book on leadership that says this, is there? Blessed are the meek. What does it mean to be meek? Meek means to have strength or have power and be willing to limit it. That's what it is. Meekness is about submission. It's a willingness to say, God, what's going on? I don't understand. What, what are you trying to do? It's, it's that willingness to say, um, even though in what strength I think I have, I would like to assert myself in this direction, I am going to trust, um, trust God more? God blesses people who are willing to stop saying, what are you doing, God? Why are you doing this? And her willingness to say, what are you about, God? I have no idea. I'm very comfortable and I'm somewhat anxious. (laughs) But instead of trying to exert what little power I think I may have that I don't really have, I'm going to be meek and submit to you. What does he promise? Inheritance. That makes no sense. The idea of sitting back and getting something, that doesn't make any sense, does it? But because of what values, that's what he promises. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This one I had to really think about for a while because sometimes the reason you hunger and thirst for righteousness isn't because you ate the right thing. It's because you regret that you didn't eat the right thing. It's this growing sense in our spiritual life that There is a fullness that can be ours, but there is an emptiness that we're experiencing, and we're trying to fill the emptiness. This community has odd ideas for filling the emptiness. Spend a whole bunch of money on a hotel, and you'll feel full. Drink a better liquor, and you'll feel full. Eat more expensive food, and you'll feel full. You know, the most unsatisfying meal I've had since I came here was really expensive. Big plates, a little bit of food. But God starts building this longing inside of us. And it's because we're favored. And some of you are bothered by it because you don't want to feel empty. You want to feel filled, okay and that is different sometimes we feel the hunger and we have to say god i'm hungry there's something inside of me that feels empty that there's this need how are you going to fill it when nancy and i were dating and even when we were first married occasionally there wouldn't be a lot of food in the house and we'd get the munchies. And I'd say, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? And she'd go, Yeah. So then you'd go through the list, right? Sweet or salty? I'm thinking salty. Crunchy or chewy? You know, you kind of go through this list. And I think that sometimes we, instead of having that conversation with ourselves or with our mate or somebody else, we need to say, God, I'm thinking I'm hungry here. Is this a spiritual longing and I think it's a stomach growling? And God, what do you promise to me today? You promise me that they shall be satisfied. You know, God has a Thanksgiving meal planned for us where we need to wear stretchy pants. he wants to fill us the problem is is occasionally when we're hungry and we go for the sweet or salty the softer chewy and all that when you get done Nancy look and say was that what you wanted uh, not really <laughs> right god says people are blessed that have spiritual longing And sometimes we just need to pray and say, God, is this longing bigger than physical? Is this longing more than physical? Is it spiritual? Is this a part of your blessing for me? Because this is what you value? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. All of a sudden, we start walking in somebody else's shoes, don't we? And we start experiencing their acceptedness. Uh, We signed up for something at the church, and uh, because we did, they said that they would send pastors free books, which is exciting. And one of the books that they sent was stories behind the hymn Amazing Grace, and it tells excerpts from both the life of the author and the man that he influenced so deeply. And it says of John Newton, the pastor who wrote that, that one of the things that he came to understand deeply was that he had a deep compassion for how grace worked in the lives of other people. And so instead of being judgmental, of the lack of progress that sometimes he saw in others, he remembered the length of progress it took him to get where he was. And of all the stories that it told, the one that I had not really heard is the fact that John Newton, after he got saved, was a slave trader for five more years before he even entered the ministry. He was a growing Christian running a slave trade boat. And he said of this, he said there's a verse in Matthew that talks about that a seed grows and first it becomes a blade, and then it becomes an ear, and then it becomes an ear full of grain. And in the book it said that John loved that verse, and he had great compassion for the fact that he couldn't expect of blades what should be happening in the life of a foliar. All of a sudden, you're going to watch yourself be judgmental and critical, and all of a sudden, God will say this to you, but by the grace of you too. And as God grows us, He grows spiritual compassion and mercy in us because the result of this is because we are forgiven, we can offer more forgiveness, right? The Word of God, what did Jesus say? To him who is saved little, he loves little. But to him who has been saved much, loves much. See, God's values are different. Does the world have a great value for people that are compassionate? No. No. The world is about, this is the standard. Make sure everybody lives by the standard. If they don't live by the standard, you can make a contract and you can fire them. You can find a better employee. That's, that's the world's standard. The world's standard isn't forgiveness, it's judgment and critical. That's what you hear on the news every day. Every day on the news you hear, this person screwed up and we should be mad at them, and this person screwed up and we should be mad at them. This is wrong in the world today and we should be mad about this. This is wrong in the world and we should be mad about this. And Ecclesiastes talked about all that. It says, the whole world is messed up. But you're supposed to fear God and obey Him spiritually compassionate. goes on. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see see God. All of a sudden, have you ever had somebody be nice to you and your first question is, is, I wonder what they want. Have, Have you ever had somebody, all of a sudden, especially as a parent, when all of a sudden I'd come home and someone would say, hey, I cleaned my room today. I'd be like, what do they want? But God says that He values and blesses people that are pure in heart, who have good motives. You know, for the crowd of people that was probably taken advantage of and sold of junk all the time they probably just wanted somebody that would be sincere and kind at times to them. And when God says, the people that shoot straight, that do things without manipulation, I I favor that. The crowd probably went, yeah, don't you think? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want people that aren't just trying to figure out what you want, but just love you and are honest with you and compassionate? and They're spiritually motivated, and that's the only way that this can change in us. Because to be honest with you, if you don't have Jesus, you are always going to be somehow manipulating things. That's the reality. Our tendency is to try to take care of Me. That's why in the second commandment it says we're supposed to love other people. How? As we love ourselves, because we know how to love ourselves. So if you would apply that to somebody else, we'd appreciate it. Right? The spiritually motivated get to see God. They get an audience with God. Isn't that cool? You know? They get an audience with God. I have a cousin that tr- travels in some of the circles in Nashville and occasionally when we lived in South Florida, he'd get me tickets to a concert. But he'd do more than give me tickets to the concert. He'd get me backstage passes. So I would have an audience with Casting Crowns or an audience with Michael English or an audience with different people that he was traveling with at the time. I'd get to meet them. He's saying that the pure in heart get a backstage pass to hang out with God. And that's a great value. In this world where sometimes you feel devalued and excluded and outside the inner circle, God's saying that your heart is the backstage pass to your relationship with Him. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Uh, I call these the spiritual go-betweens. Those people that are willing to say, I've experienced God's peace, this is what God's done for me. I'd like you to experience and introduce you to my friend Jesus. And every once in a while, you find yourselves in the middle. Have you ever found yourself in the middle in relationships and the thing you say is, I just want out of this. I've been Even in Christian circles, I've had people come up to me and say, now, you know, this is how I'm not going to be a peacemaker. <laughs> I'm, I, I just want you to know that I value both of you the same and, and I can't take any sides, even though you've put me in a position of leadership and asked me to make a judgment. Uh, I'm not going to be the go-between. We've all experienced that kind of thing where we just kind of feel disenfranchised, right? All of a sudden, he's saying something completely different. He's saying that those people who are willing to be the go-betweens... Now, i got to be honest with you. John Stott says that these things are that grow from each other. You can't start with Peacemaker. <laughs> You've got to understand all the other things that God values. And in the process of it, all of a sudden, because you've received mercy and you give mercy, all of a sudden now you're willing to be a peacemaker. And what is the goal there? It says that we're going to experience adoption. Instead of being disenfranchised and not included, we are going to be included. We're going to be in the inside, in the core, at the center. We're going to be allowed in. When I was a college student, I loved to play a game called Rook. And at Moody, we were allowed to use real playing cards at that time. But we could use these Rook cards. And I grew up playing that game with my dad. And I loved this game. And there was this group of guys that played it every Thursday night. And I would just go and first just kind of stand around because I didn't even really care about the guys. I just liked Rook. And I wanted to play. But as I got to know them and they would say something funny and occasionally I would say something funny and, and next thing I knew one night one of the guys threw down the cards and said I need to go study and, and one of the guys said to me, Jim, you ever played Rook? Oh yeah. You want to play in? Oh yeah. There was something about being included that was so powerful I want you to know that if you are gods, you're included, you're adopted. You're in. You're accepted. There's a place God gets you. Isn't that cool? The last one says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven goes on and said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. As we grow in these other things in our acceptance by the Lord, sometimes people don't like that very much. People are bothered by people that are at peace with themselves because they're at peace with God. somehow without realizing it, you're shedding light on their lives and they don't like it. And so their response sometimes is ugly. We live in a world that is speaking out against bullies all the time, but is full of bigger bullies all the time, doesn't it? And we as Christians have gone from a place of just being a a quiet place in society to all of a sudden being this place in this society where occasionally being a Christian means that we are wrong and we are bullied. We're bullied because this is what we say the standard is even though they voted a different standard, right? We're bullied sometimes in the midst of our job. I remember that when we used to take the teens to this inner city place and they'd work in this boys club, there was this guy named Fred and and Fred was this really cool guy. He was an older guy and... And he was probably almost seventy at the time and Fred was one of the janitors there and 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 Fred just had this pace that he went at and 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 whenever they'd say, Hey, we want you to do a work job and Fred's gonna help you, I just kinda roll my eyes and go, Oh not Fred. You know? Because it would be just like, you know, I was thirty at the time and I wanted to speedy Gonzalez, let's get this done and Fred's kinda dun 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 dun, dun, dun. Dee, da, do, dee. You know, and you know, I'd have 18 standing behind me and we wanted to take the world and Fred would be going, dee, dee, dee. Ooh, 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 ooh. but I had this one teen that was just really curious about things. So him and Fred were working together and he just looks at Fred and he says, Fred, what's your story? Why are you here? He says, well, we decided to stay in the community. My wife is one of the doctors at Pacific Garden Mission. And we went, wow, that's pretty neat. Pacific Garden Mission, if you've ever listened to Moody Radio, they have this thing called Unshackled about all these people that have been saved for the mission work there. And it's kind of like an iconic place. And his wife, wow, that was kind of cool. But My kids didn't know what that was, and so that didn't impress them. But then the guy said, Well, Fred, what do you have you always been a janitor? He says, No. No, I used to sell insurance downtown in the Loop. Big insurance company there. And I met Jesus. And I started leaving some tracks on my desk because I wanted people to know about Jesus. I was a peacemaker. I was a go-between. And uh my firm was owned by people that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they began persecuting me and they fired me and they blackballed me from getting jobs in the insurance industry at all in the whole town of Chicago. And so since my wife was working at the mission, I just looked for any job I could get. And so I'm a janitor at a, Inner City Boys and Girls Club. All of a sudden, Fred went from being that, oh, Fred, to Fred was a hero of the faith. And my teens were talking about wanting to grow up and be like Fred. And all of a sudden, they went back home and they loved Jesus a little bit more. Because they had met somebody, not in a book called Fox versus Book of Martyrs, and not in the annals of Scripture, but a real live human being that had been spiritually bullied, that had lost everything following Jesus, and that was satisfied to be a janitor. If that's what it took in a city that had blackballed him because he loved Jesus. When Jesus said these words, nobody in that room knew what he was talking about yet, did they? It was so early in Jesus' ministry that probably the Pharisees weren't even bullying him yet. But he knew that we needed to understand that something that God valued, that only God values, is people who are spiritually bullied. You know, in this world full of bullies right now, this is probably the lesson we need to teach our children and ourselves, isn't it? Because the same thing that the poor in spirit receive... Is what the bullies, the spiritually bullies, receive. Look at that. It says that they will what? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Go back to the first one. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? Isn't that interesting? When you ask Jesus to be your Savior, you have to realize that you're going to be in the same line. We are so surprised by these things sometimes, but occasionally you're not going to be treated well because you love Jesus. I know some of you have experienced that in your own families. I know that some of you, as you stand up for Jesus in some of the places in this community, they're not as excited about Jesus as you are. I know of people... And quietly prayed with people who work places that have been fired because of their faith. But God has a promise. And this is what He says. That there's a heavenly reward for those who experience these things. See, let's take a look at the list of what God values. Oh, I love this quote. i got to read this quote first. This is from John Piper. So the Beatitudes are words of celebration for disciples, people who have been awakened by the present power of the age to come. And they are words of invitation to crowds, the people who come to worship out of the tradition, curiosity, or skepticism. And for some, they are words of transformation by the power of, and mercy of God. You see, in God's economy, to be accepted or favored or blessed means you need to be needy, bothered, submissive, longing, compassionate, purely motivated, go-betweens that are bullied. (laughs) And only God values those things. The world does not value these things. Self-help books do not value these things. Leadership books do not value these things. Oh, occasionally we meet people and we see little glimpses of these things even though they have not met Jesus. That's the image of God being reflected in even in every sinner. But you need to understand that these are the things that make you acceptable to God. And if you notice, this list has nothing to do with anything you've done. In fact, it has everything to do with what you did wrong. The deficits of who you are. That part of every evaluation that you love. What are three things that you're strong at? (laughs) Okay. Tell us some things that you think you need work at. Why are you asking me this? You know? How are you rotten? You know, that might as well be the question. But in the kingdom of God, only God values the fact that at our core, we're needy and hungry and bothered. And we're looking for compassion and sincerity and peacemakers. And we're afraid of being bullied. That's who we are. But not only does God favor these things, this is the things that He wants to give them. He wants to give them entrance and comfort and inheritance and fullness and forgiveness and audience and adoption and a heavenly reward. That's what God wants to give. For some of you in this room, you really have a problem. You've been trying to put on your best face. You think you're at some kind of a job interview and you forgot to put your belt on. And you're trying so much to think that you have it all together. And God is not asking that of you today. That is not what He values. What He values is for you to be these other things so that this matters. The more you realize that you're needy, this matters. The more that you realize that you need mercy, this matters. The more you live in regret, this matters. The more you lack peace, this matters. The more you feel empty, this matters. Do you get the point? Jesus Christ died because of what God valued. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And if you have not asked Jesus to be your Christ, to be your Savior yet, if you're not willing to mourn and be submissive to God and be meek and say, I need God, then you're still caught up in this whole other value system. But if you have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, do not buy into the lie of the world that is trying to change the value systems. And the promises of God. But it all starts here. If you realize you're needy, you need a Savior and you can't fix it yourself. And some of you need a Savior today. It's simple. All you need to do is ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and ask Him to come into your life. That's all you need to do. It's as simple as a prayer saying, Dear God, please save me. Please forgive my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. If you pray those simple words, you've begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. These words and this acceptance isn't just so we get into the kingdom. This acceptance is so we can live in the kingdom. Because you're always going to be needy. And you're always going to be spiritually at deficit. And you're always going to struggle being pure at heart. And you're always going to struggle being a go-between. And you're going to always struggle with this whole new value system. But in the depth of your heart, you're going to realize over and over again that you needed mercy. And I want you to know that you received all the mercy you need the moment you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Because he didn't just forgive part of your sin that day. He forgave all of your sin. And so you can be comforted even though you're mourning the fact you have not arrived and experienced your final reward. We need to live in the only God. Only God can do some things that we so desperately want to happen, but only God values the things that makes us valuable. Valuable. God has less issues with your humanness than you do. Because the cross changed all of that. So you can be and live differently. And there's certain days that you don't be or live differently. And so then you're going to feel really sad. And he's gonna, you're going to say, God, can I help me be better and different? And he says, I will help you. And then he will give you comfort. Because that's how it works. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank You for all that the cross means. I thank You that when they heard Your first written sermon, they realized that You were creating a value system that was so different than anything that man had twisted or conjured up to call Your Word. God, for today, for some, I believe that now is the day of salvation. I pray for the people here who have not entered the kingdom and have asked you to be their Savior. Pray that that would happen today. And for the rest of us, I pray that we wouldn't somehow lay on top of the gift of salvation, the expectations of the world but that the same acceptance that brought us into the kingdom would drive our life as your people. I pray these things in your name. Amen. I can think of no greater response to what we're talking about than communion. To remember the sacrifice of what Christ did on the cross for us. And so I'm going to ask uh, four people to come up and for them to deliver to you the elements. Now, if you're a guest today, as long as you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is an open communion table and we would be honored for you to join us. If you aren't there yet, I would encourage you to let the, pa- the plate pass. But I encourage you to celebrate with us this gift that God has given us. So if several of you will come up, uh, we'll pass out the elements. I'm asking everybody to hold the elements until everybody has received them. Take a couple minutes to reflect on God's gift of salvation to you today.